0: Invite children to be dismissed at Junior Church at this time, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles or your smartphone or tablet to Philippians chapter 4, uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4 today, and uh, we've been walking through Paul's epistle letter, that's what an epistle is, to the church at Philippi. And we're in the last chapter, and we aim to end Philippians on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We're going to have another skit that Sunday, so you can look forward to that. And then in, we're going to have an Advent series on who is Jesus, and then in January, we're going to start the book of Acts, and we're going to preach the book of Acts until Jesus comes again. But, um, and hopefully he comes again in the first sermon of the series, but... Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine. I want to make a quick comment. This is, Lily was helping lead worship this morning and thank you for Lily Farrell for helping. This is her last Sunday here and Victoria's here home from college and her last Sunday here. Hopefully they'll be here again when they visit, but they're moving 26 hours away, driving tomorrow to Idaho. Idaho. And so we need to keep Craig and Rachel and their whole family in prayer. They're loading moving trucks as we speak. So let's keep them in prayer as they um, make this move. And we will greatly miss them, but we'll be praying for you all. And be in contact through modern technology. So Philippians 4, 4 through 9, and as we get in Philippians 4, 4 through 9, most of you might know of at least Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all situations by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We're actually going to start with Philippians 4, verse 4, and I hope you know verses 6 and 7, because I preached a long series on just Philippians 4, 6 through 8, a few years ago, and I'm sure you could remember those sermons. It was only three years ago in 2020. You probably remember them word for word, so I could just skip that sermon, that part at least. No, I'm just kidding. I forget my own sermons. There are many times where I have to go through and search my Microsoft office and Word and think, uh, have I ever said this before? Is it a fresh idea, whatever? So I don't blame you for forgetting, but we're gonna start at verse four, but we are gonna get into the subject of of, of worry and fear and anxiety, but we're gonna start with rejoicing. We're gonna start with uh, being reasonable, being gentle. Uh, These are things that our church, not, not, not just Bethel, certainly Bethel as well, but the church across the United States of America, especially, really, 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 really needs. I can't speak to the church across the world because I'm not over there. I've been over there in Dominican Republic and Belize Central America on mission trips. I've studied missions, I've talked to missionaries, but I'm not really, it's not personal to me. I can't speak to America, and this is our culture. And we know, even though we're the most affluent, wealthy country in the history of the world, we have rising states of anxiety, rising states of depression. It's just rising. And, and worry. And I'm a worrier. It's gotten a little better, but I can worry about anything and everything. I worry about being sick. And let me tell you the internet is not the best place to go for advice on illnesses. Misery loves company, and the internet is the place to find company for the, those, those who are in misery. A number of years ago, I was getting a root canal. I've had one, don't want no more. It didn't have a bad experience. I just don't like going to the dentist there. I think they could torture people quite well. Um, but I was there last Monday. I got to get two fillings. Anyways, In um, the and the, the doctor said... If he could do anything, he would he would disconnect everybody's internet the night before they get root canals, so they can't go on and look them up and stuff like that. It really wasn't that big of a deal, though. And he said, then the dentist even said he he's just as bad as everyone else. He had to have a hip replacement, and the night and two nights before, he's reading on the internet about hip replacements. Well, a long time ago, I had to get my tonsils out. I was 29 years old and. Getting my tonsils out. And if you know anything about getting tonsillectomies, you want to have them done when you are as young as you can. Now, it's too late for us with that. But for your kids, grandkids, it's way easier when they're like five years old, like Mercedes was. She got her tonsils out, she was running around the same day and the same weekend. It was like nothing for her. But me, 29 years old, I don't do well with being sick. And I got my tonsils out, and I was on antibiotics constantly before the tonsils were out because I had strep throat, and it wouldn't go away. And I had problems associated with antibiotics and all that stuff, and I'm going on the internet, and I'm going on Mayo Clinic's website and WebMD, and I can just say it wasn't helpful. The Mayo Clinic's a good... Good source, right? WebMD, a good source, but it doesn't help. You can find anything and everything on social media and the internet, and it can just aid our worry and fear, right? Mark Twain said, I've lived a long time and worried a lot, and most of the things I've worried about never happened. I was worried about all these different complications and horror stories I heard about, tonsillectomies and bleeding and issues like that never happened. It took a while to get better. It felt like it was like a month of eternity with sore throats and stuff, but it got better. A problem with worry, or let's call it anxiety, being anxious, it can steal our peace. It steals our peace away from us. Being anxious can keep us from rejoicing. I wanna read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And I believe that we will see that giving God our needs with thanksgiving will allow us to have peace Rejoice and be kind to others. Giving God our needs with thanksgiving will allow us to have peace, rejoice, and be kind to others. And so the theme of my message today is, is a response to hardship. Rejoice. Be reasonable. Pray. Give thanks. Think on these things. And that's really the outline for the text. Rejoice, Philippians 4.4. 4. Be reasonable, verse five. Pray, verses six and seven, as well as give thanks. And then he ends it with think on these things. That's the outline for the text. I like to get my themes from the Bible. Novel idea, right? And um, lest it sounds too simplistic, because some of you might be thinking, you're just making it sound so simple. My worry, my anxiety, my fear, my whatever I'm dealing with is, is way deeper than that. No, I think that we need to talk back to ourselves. We do need to give, our God, give God our knees with prayer, with thanksgiving. We need to sanctify, that means set apart our thinking. That's what verse eight gets into. But no matter what, we might have to do that daily. We might have to do that every five minutes. In the missing component in most American churches, we need to make ourselves vulnerable with each other and say, pray for me, I need help with this. And we need to keep stop letting our pride keep us from talking to other Christian brothers and sisters. In coming to celebrate recovery, we have a great place to talk about hurts, habits, and hang ups. And quit saying things like you're just my burden to bear. It's not. God wants to help us. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, some translations say gentleness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And a peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace we with you. So he begins talking about our mindset, a mindset of rejoicing, right? A mindset of being reasonable, a mindset of being gentle. And then he jumps into prayer, but even within prayer, he's still talking about mindset because he's talking about thankfulness, being thankful. And then he comes to verse uh, seven, which is about the peace of God, which passed all understanding. Then he comes to verse eight, which deals with our thinking. And sometimes I think, why did not you put verse eight before verses six and seven, but the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it the way he did. But it all goes together. And then he wraps it up. With verse nine, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul starts out by saying to rejoice and be reasonable. He says to rejoice in some things. No, rejoice in all things. Rejoice in the Lord always, he repeats it. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, I understand and I think that Paul, would also understand that sometimes it's hard to rejoice. We had times in our life when we felt there was nothing to rejoice about. As most of you know, because I put this in context every single week, I've sometimes, more than others, I've spent a lot of time focusing at least one point on the context of the passage we're talking about. And Philippians chapter 4 is A letter written to, uh, is in the midst of a letter written to a persecuted church under a persecuted apostle. We know that Paul was under house arrest, shackled to a guard. We know there were guards because he says so in chapter 1, verse 13. Paul is writing to the Philippians who were persecuted for their faith in Christ. The city of uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. And they were very Roman in culture. Uh, They probably even spoke Latin, which was a little rarer at this point. By this point in Paul's life, he had already been shipwrecked beaten, stoned, and so much more. You can see Acts 14 about him being stoned and left for dead. You can see later Acts chapter 26, 27, 28 about other things that he had faced. 2 Corinthians 11, he gives this whole catalog of the things he went through. And that was even before. Second Corinthians 11 is even prior to his shipwreck in the book of Acts. Yet Paul says to rejoice. A number of weeks ago, maybe four or five weeks ago, I spent some time talking about rewiring your brain. And there's a book by that title that talks about rewiring your brain and how important it is to even force our thinking, force our smile, force our humor, force ourselves to take ourselves more lightly and how much that literally does rewire the brain. So even in the midst of hardship, there is actual psychological value of forcing our thinking to the positive, to the thankfulness, to the rejoicing, to the worshiping, to the praising, the exalting of God. You know, it's possible. I'm sure they could have thought, "How can you tell me to rejoice? Look at the persecution we are going through. Look at what you've gone through. That could be what they were. That could be what they were thinking. And maybe that's why Paul repeats it twice. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice." Prayer with thanks will give them the peace to rejoice and be reasonable. And that goes to the next part of the verse, next verse, reasonable. Paul tells them to be reasonable or let their reasonableness be known to all. Again, Paul doesn't say to let people know you are reasonable when things are going well and when people are nice to you. No, let your reasonableness be known to all. Some translations say the word gentle, and and I like the word gentle a little bit better. Um, I don't really like the word gentle because I think the Greek is better being put gentle. I just like the idea of, uh, of, of Paul appealing and exhorting them to gentleness. But it takes reasonableness to be gentle, doesn't it? How do we do and how do we respond when we are opposed, when we are upset, when we are debating somebody? when somebody tries to correct us or maybe it's just at a family gathering or, and, and, and somebody says something we disagree with. Are we reasonable? Are we gentle? Do we live the James 1 way? Be swift to hear, swift to listen, slow to anger and slow to speak. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's what James 1 says or proverbs 15:1 a soft answer turns away wrath proverbs 19:11 it's a good thing to overlook a sin first corinthians 13 which is written to a church divided not to a marriage divided you can apply it to your marriage too i would encourage that but it is written to a church divided over worship and they say love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast Love does not rejoice in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love believes all things. You know, that means it gives each other the benefit of the doubt. Love believes all things, hopes all things in yours. You know, I wonder if one reason Paul is addressing reasonableness or gentleness right here, because oftentimes, especially when hard times come, and oftentimes, especially when we are Attacked or feel attacked, or oftentimes maybe we're not even attacked, but somebody challenges us on a thought or something else. We are anything but reasonable. We get defensive. We're not swift to hear, swift to listen, slow to anger, and slow to speak. He says, Bless you. He says, Be reasonable. Maybe this reasonableness, this gentleness, may be exactly why Paul could be a good witness. To be gentle likely means to be kind, so they are to be kind in all situations. Are we kind? Are we encouragers? Do we brighten a room as Christians? Again, the Philippians have faced persecution. How could he ask them this? How could he tell a persecuted church, a, a, a persecuted church when he's in, in, in prison himself, which was not like prisons today. It was a dungeon type prison. He's shackled to a guard. How could he tell them? Be gentle, be reasonable. Matthew 5, this is how he could tell them. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 5, 11, Jesus says that we are blessed when persecuted for him. But I believe Paul gives one of the best reasons at the end of this verse. Paul says, the Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Look back at the verse. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Again, some translations say the Lord is near. And this can mean one of two things, or it could mean both. It, he could be saying the Lord's second coming is close. Or he could mean the Lord is near in spirit, which he is. Jesus is with us always through the church. The Holy Spirit is within us as well. We're never alone. Now, if Paul meant Jesus' second coming is near, that means judgment is near. And this means Paul says, be kind to them, even when they persecute you, their judgment is near. He could have meant both, although that was 2,000 years ago. And you could say, oh, but Jesus hasn't come yet, which I, I strongly believe he hasn't because Christians are still here. But we've been living in the last days really ever since Jesus ascended into, into heaven. So Jesus' second coming is still closer, um, closer compared to before he wrote this. And as Christians, we always have hope. As Christians, we do have the Holy Spirit with us. As Christians, Jesus is always near. As Christians, the Lord is always near to us. He is always near to us. And we always have hope. They were not alone. You are not alone. We are not alone. And I believe their help is in the next two verses. Paul's told them to rejoice always. Paul's told them to be reasonable or gentle to everyone. But how? He tells us in the next couple of verses, through prayer with thanksgiving. Paul tells him not to be anxious, but to pray, giving the request to God with thanksgiving. Not to be anxious is difficult, isn't it? Like I said, I can worry a lot. I've improved, I think. I think God's working on me with that. But Paul gives an antidote to anxiety. And even the time we spend on being anxious The antidote is prayer, and Paul tells him how to pray. We pray in everything, he says. Not in some things, everything. And we pray with, uh, the NIV says petitions, the ESV, which I read earlier, says supplication. I like the word supplication better because if you actually get into this Greek term, it deals with humbly coming to the Lord. We're not just making a list of things, of, of things we would like. We are humbly coming before the Lord as needy people needing help from our loving Savior. Now, please understand, all prayer is not petition. I, I, I would think a lot of our prayer life is petition or supplication, but prayer is communing with God. And some prayer is listening to the Lord. You, you open in prayer and say, speak to me through your word. And, and we get into the word because when we read the Bible, we know the Lord is speaking, okay? And we can listen in silence. Some prayer is spend time in silence, and solitude. Christian meditation, which is not the same as Eastern meditation. Uh, some prayer is being thankful, giving him thanks, which is part of this. Some prayer is worship, worshiping the Lord. But I... Seriously believe that if I make a list of what I have to be thankful for, I realize how little I need, right? He says to do all things with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. My kids were making an issue of something small last week and got on them and said, do you realize, you know, how you sound right now? We're praying for Israel. What's it like for these kids in Israel right now, these families in Israel right now? And we're bickering and complaining over small matters. Big to us is perspective, but small matters. One of our former pastors is a missionary in Liberia. And right after the Ebola crisis, they had a major crisis there. They had kids, you know, fighting over moldy bread because they were all orphaned by parents who were sick. Orphaned, parents that were sick. Sometimes when we're thankful, thanksgiving changes our perspective. I was talking to a student a long time ago and a student was actually threatened suicide and we made a list. He was depressed, obviously. We made a list of things to be thankful for. We got at least 50 things. Paul says here, pray with Thanksgiving. We all have clothes, we have food, we have heat, we have a roof over our heads. Can we be thankful for hard times that we face? I think we can. I said this in Sunday school and I want to say it now too because it's important. Uh, We have a wrong perspective. People will say, don't pray for patience because you'll get trouble. That's totally wrong thinking on multiple levels. No, pray for patience because we want to grow spiritually and we want to be Better Christ followers, better Christians, better human beings. And if God brings trouble to give you patience, which He will, we are more developed as Christians. If we say or think, I'm not going to pray for this because I know I'm going to get trouble, basically we're saying, I don't want to grow spiritually. Lord, I'm done. Thank you. I've gone to a place where I'm comfortable with my spiritual life, I'm content. I'm not going to pray for patience or humility or spiritual growth because I really know once I do that, I'm going to face some hardship. I think we can be thankful for hardship and troubles and tribulations we face because Romans 5, and by the way, the rest of the Bible as well, talks about patience coming through tribulation. We want to grow spiritually. It's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't we want to be a blessing to others of being patient? Don't we want to be a blessing to others of being joyful? Don't we want to be a blessing to others of being self-controlled? Don't we want to be a blessing to others of being loving? It's not going to happen without some trials, some hardship. And the Lord knows what we need. For some, we need more than others. He makes us a blessing. We have so much to be thankful for. And we have clothes. Like I said, we have food. We have many other things. But oftentimes, we forget the spiritual. We have salvation in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit as our comforter. See John 14. Jesus said not to fear the person who can harm our body, but the person who can harm our soul. We always put the physical needs in our prayers and thanks above the spiritual needs. We can be thankful for our salvation and we are to give God our needs in prayer with thanksgiving. And then it says, God will give us peace, which compels us to rejoice and be kind. Paul says they will have peace from God that passes understanding. And he uses a word, he says, as a guard. And this is not a peace as the world needs. This is not a peace from war. This this is an inner peace which we receive spiritually. This peace will guard our hearts and minds. And I think by saying that, Paul is saying that the peace will guard our whole person. Our hearts, our minds, the peace of God will guard our whole person. And some of you will say, I prayed and I prayed and I've been thankful and I've meditated and I don't have that peace. And I would say, do it again and do it again and do it again. And argue with yourself. I was talking to somebody who was depressed a few weeks ago and I said, You need to start talking back to yourself. It's a good thing. We all should be talking to ourselves and, and quoting scripture back to ourselves and talking back to ourselves and arguing with ourselves. And then we need to call up other Christians and do the same with other Christians and like, I need your help. And maybe another Christian would say, You're not having peace because your perspective's off. You've heard me say it before. Oftentimes our prayers contradict. We pray for healing. We pray for help. We pray for a good day. I pray for my kids. Every single day I pray, Lord, keep bullying away. Lord, keep sickness away. Keep falls and trips in, away. Keep embarrassing issues away. Keep other things away. And the Lord, but, but then I pray, uh, Lord, bring them spiritual growth. And the Lord's thinking, if you knew what I know, you would know they need that trouble tomorrow. Ooh. Praying in Jesus' name means we would pray, we're praying what we would pray if we knew what Jesus knows. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The term Paul uses for guard right here is a military term. It's a military term. This type of guard has to do with a soldier on a wall guarding a city. So when he says a piece of God will guard your hearts and minds, he's talking about a military guard guarding a city. God will guard us. I was talking to a pastor, and he really challenged me on healing. And he gave me many testimonies of amazing, miraculous, spiritual healings, like physical needs being healed, a woman who's going to have toes amputated. The next day, the elders prayed and anointed her, and she, and she was healed. His own son, who was like three or four years old, was totally healed in the hospital. And he was talking to me about healing. And I said, have you prayed over people and, they, and they're not healed? And he said, yes. But usually, they have a peace from God. God gives them a peace. They're not healed. They don't walk out healed, but God gives them a peace about their situation. The peace of God will guard us and the peace of God is guarding us in Christ Jesus. Look at verse eight. Lastly, Paul focuses on our thinking. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, These all go together, right? We get to verse seven and we think, I don't, I'm still struggling with the peace of God. Well, Paul says, I know, I'm gonna deal with that. Read the next verse, verse eight. We redirect our thinking. We redirect our thinking. We quit thinking about how your football team lost the game because maybe that's causing worry and fear and anxiety. Hopefully not really. Um, And then we redirect it. We think about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, Lovely, commendable. If anything, excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about things. And by the way, we can correlate this with the rest of the New Testament, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Do all things with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're still dealing with worry and anxiety. Hey, we pull out psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let's start singing in Christ alone. You can't sing it. Maybe you're at a public place. Well, you can meditate on it. You can sing it. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been singing it at the gas pump and then you look over and somebody sees you. You know, you could meditate on psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You re, we need to redirect our thinking. We change our thinking to the positive. And these verses are like a machine gun. Rejoice. Be reasonable. The Lord is near. Pray. Give thanks. And then verse 9. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. They've, they've spent time with the Apostle Paul. They see how the Apostle Paul can, can be an encourager and, and, and be a lover and, and, and be a support and, and be gospel driven through his time in prison and everything else. They can follow that example. Because remember in Philippians chapter one, he said, I know I'm in jail don't worry about me. I got a captive audience. This, guy's gar- this guy is chained to me, and I'm going to talk about the gospel with him day and night. This guy is chained to me, and I'm going to sing hymns day and night. We can see another passage in Acts chapter 17, I think, where him hymn, and uh, I think it's Silas. They're in prison after being beaten. They're singing hymns in the middle of the night. They've seen this example. They've heard this example, and they can think, that's awesome. And it is awesome because I know how I worry. I know how I get anxious. I know how I get defensive. And I could just think if I was going through that type of thing, I'd be like, pray for my release. Send bail money, please. I want out of this place. He doesn't say that. Tim Keller, who died a few months ago of cancer, shares this about verse 8. He says, and Paul also uses the word, Logis demi, to describe how we are to think about these things. That is an accounting word. It's an accounting word, sometimes translated to reckon or to count up. Paul is saying, if you want peace, think hard and long about the core doctrines of the Bible. This is so completely different from what you will find if you walk into any bookstore and go to the section on anxiety, worry, and dealing with stress, right? Go Barnes and Noble, And you're not gonna find this type of thing. And now, why does he say, why does Keller say, Paul is saying, think long and hard about the core doctrines of the Bible? Because what's he saying in verse eight? Think on whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Think anything excellent. Well, how can we get more excellent than the core teachings, the doctrines, the ethics of the Bible? Keller continues, "Here here is what you will see if you walk into any of these bookstores. None of the books will ever say, are you stressed, unhappy, or anxious? Let's start dealing with that by asking the big questions. What is the meaning of life? What are you really here for? What is life all about? Where have you come from and where are you going? What should human beings spend their time doing? You're not gonna find that in most pop culture areas right now, never. Contemporary books go right to relaxation techniques and to the work-rest balance. For example, they will say that every so often you should go sit on a beach, look at the surf, and just bracket out worrying and thinking about things. Or they will give you thought-control techniques about dealing with negative thoughts and emotions, guilt thoughts, and so forth. Christian peace comes not from thinking less, but from thinking more and more intensely about the big issues of life. This corresponds exactly to Christian counseling. I was talking to a counselor uh, who deals, specializes in PTSD and things like that. And he said, you know, you would think when you're facing an anxiety attack, you run from it. It's a tidal wave, we're gonna run from it. He said, no, 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 you gotta run into it. You run into it. Christian peace comes not from thinking less, but from thinking more and more intensely about the big issues of life. Tim Keller continues, and this it comes from his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, which I would highly commend to you. Paul gives a specific example of this in Romans 8.18, where he uses that same Greek word, logisteme, and speaks directly to sufferers. He says in Romans 8.18, I reckon that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us. I reckon that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us. What is that? It's thinking long and hard. Is thinking deep about our hope in Jesus. We don't get that if we just try to empty our mind and sit on a beach. No, you think long and hard about the awesome doctrines of, of God and how awesome our hope is in God. Most of us don't want that though. To reckon is to count up accurately. That's what he, the Greek word logisteme can think. It means to reckon. To, it means to count up accurately, not to whistle in the dark. It's not to get peace by jogging or shopping Though, honestly, I do get peace by jogging. It's not just to get peace by jogging or shopping. It means to think it out. Think about the glory coming until the joy begins to break in on you. Argue with yourself. Spend time on it. Most of the time, we want a quick fix. We want a quick fix. Talked to counselors before, and I'll say, hey, can you meet with so-and-so from my church about something? They would say, I would love to help that person, but I can't because I can't meet with them every single week and they just want a one-time quick fix where they need to be seeing a counselor every single week, getting help. Keller continues. He says, here's a metaphor for it. If you have ever been on a coast in a storm and seen the waves coming in and hit the rocks, sometimes the waves are so large, they cover a particular rock and you think, that's the end of that rock. When the waves recede, there it is still. It hasn't budged an inch A person who feels the peace that passes understanding is like that. No matter what is thrown at you, you know it will not make you lose your footing. Paul, of course, is the classic example. He is beaten. He is stoned. He is flogged. He is shipwrecked. He is betrayed. His enemies are trying to kill him. There's wave after wave, and yet there he is still witnessing, sharing the gospel, passing on the faith. Paul would say, I have found a way to be completely poised under any and all circumstances. All the waves of life could not break him. All the waves of life could not break him. And he says it isn't a natural talent of his. He says, you and I can learn this. That is the character of Christian peace. It is an inner calm and equilibrium, but also a sense of God's presence in an almost reason-transcending sense of his protection, God's protection, doesn't come easy. It comes through thinking hard and long about the great doctrines of the Bible. It comes through prayer and thanksgiving. It comes through fasting. It comes through silence and solitude. It comes through these spiritual disciplines. It comes through time with our church family, really being vulnerable with church family, strong Christian fellowship. It only comes through living with Jesus. It comes through the disciplines we've talked about today. It comes through trusting in him. It comes through a life of self-sacrificial obedience to him. Many of us, us want it now, but it's a continual life of living the Philippians way. I hope in 10 years from now, I can look back and I can say I have more peace than I did 10 years ago. I can honestly say right now, I have more peace than I did 10 years ago. God is still working on my life. It's a continual life of living with Jesus. Jesus. And we must live Philippians 2, 3, and 4 to get this peace. Remember, this is Philippians 4, 4 through 8. It's it's like the, it's it's the end of the letter. You gotta put this in context of the whole letter. So you have to live the Philippians 2, 3, and 4 way. That means consider others more important than yourselves. Look out for the needs of others before your own. When you do that, you think, what I'm dealing with isn't a big deal. Look at what this person's dealing with. They're going through cancer treatment. They're talking about hospice. What I'm dealing with, look at what they're dealing with, their depression or whatever it might be. And we want to support them. We must lift Philippians 2, 12 through 15, where Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Whenever we grumble and complain, it makes it worse. Then he says, then you can shine a light. Some of us are just constant complainers. And I would, I'm working on this myself. I, I know, you're gonna hear me complain later today. You're gonna think, you just said that. You know, some of us are just constant gripers or complainers. We're so critical. Let it go. It's not our job to fix everyone. Not my job to fix everyone. If you come to me, I'd be glad to fix you. But it's not my constant job to fix everyone. And as I age, which I'm young by most of your standards, I'm realizing there's less and less hills to die on on things too, We must live Philippians 3, 13 through 14, where Paul says, I wanna be conformed to Christ's image, even his death. Wow, even the sufferings of Christ. We must live this passage of Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It's a life of living with Jesus and self-sacrificial, self-sacrificial obedience to him. I encourage you to think on these things, pray about these things this week, not just today. If you're not living with Jesus day to day, you're not gonna get the help. Megan, do we have a, med- a song after this? Just... We're gonna go to a song right now. It's an altar call song. I'm gonna close in prayer. And then before the closing song, which is Days of Elijah, real peppy and excitement closing song. But first we're gonna have just a meditative, contemplative song for a moment. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you, the Holy Spirit, will apply this message and uh, especially really your word to us. Anything, Lord God, that I said that's not from you and shouldn't have been said or doesn't apply, maybe it's for somebody else, not for another person. Just make it dissipate in the wind. But anything from you, may it sink real deep in all of us as we apply your word. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.